At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili mcdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last Hi there, you're listening to the Lazy Genius Podcast. I'm Kendra Adachi, and I'm here to help you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. Today is episode 354, Office Hours with Kendra. Office Hours episodes happen once a quarter, and in them, I help you lazy genius your life. I take questions from Instagram and answer them here on the podcast, helping you see how to use the 13 lazy genius principles, the five-step lazy genius method, any other lazy genius isms that might help you make your situation a little easier. Because we have a lot of parents in the crowd, a lot of the questions are parenting related, but as I usually do in Office Hours episodes, the first half will be non-kid questions and the second half will be kid. That way, if you don't have kids, you can kind of know when to tap out and use your time on something else. One quick note before getting into the questions, when I wrote the initial caption for the Instagram post asking for questions, I reminded everyone to make the problems Uh, small, you know, that's one of our most important approaches in lazy geniusing anything, right? Start small in your steps, but also in what the problem actually is. Big problems require big solutions, but small problems, they're a lot easier to solve. What's funny is that I think some folks took my keep problems small encouragement as use fewer words. So just remember that when you're trying to name your own problem to solve, the smallness isn't about how quickly you can summarize it. You might need a whole mess of words to find your way to what's actually frustrating you. I know that's true for me. So this is my encouragement to you as you work through your own questions and lazy genius, your own stuff. I just want you to give yourself plenty of room to find the problem. Small doesn't mean short. It's really about shrinking the problem to a point small enough that your response to that problem, it can be put on a to-do list, you know? As we learned last week in the episode about finishing a project, you cannot put a project on a to-do list, right? It's too big. Just like comments like declutter the house or deal with aging parents, they are too big. You cannot put declutter the house on a to-do list because that's a massive project and even an ongoing rhythm. And yet we all feel that pull to declutter, right? So instead, make it so much smaller, not necessarily shorter. So you'll notice that the questions I chose for today's episode are just that. They're relatively small and therefore fairly easy to answer, even small enough to be a task or two to put on a to-do list. So pay attention to this process so that you can make your own challenges small enough to solve too. Okay, so let's jump into some questions. First up is Katharina Joy Stegerman. Katharina writes, 
This problem might be too big, but I have a hard time using day planners, calendar reminders, and to-do lists. But I would like to remember what I have going on and have a more organized schedule. How do you change your attitude around lists and planners and start using them well? So this is a bit big. This could be a whole episode and almost is. Uh, I love talking about time management. It's like my favorite thing. I have some very old episodes where I already have done that. Episode 127 is the lazy genius chooses a planner. So that's kind of a smaller problem. Episode 123 is the lazy genius weekly plan. So how to kind of plan your week. And there's also a blog post that went like loosely viral several years ago about how I bullet journal like a lazy genius. Macaulay Culkin tweeted about it. That's still the most hilarious thing to me. Anyway, I do really like talking about lists and planning and time management. Why? Because this question from Katharina is so common for people. We want to be organized. We want to have our list. We want to have everything in one place. And yet it feels like we're always chasing that. It's never quite right. This problem is a bit big. But I want to help Katharina and any of you struggling with this to make it smaller by highlighting what's really going on. I would almost guarantee that the problem is not that you have not found the right system or the right notebook or the process or planner or whatever. It's the perspective. I would stake just about anything on that. Here's what's going on. When we see you know, videos and photos and even sales pages of planners that we're looking at online, we are being presented with an ideal organizational solution, particularly marketed to women. If you look at planners marketed to men, the approach is wildly different, wildly different. For women, there are colored blocks and cute handwriting and stickers and places to organize work and domestic stuff. There's habit trackers, all kinds of things. Planners marketed to men have calendars, to-do lists, maybe places for goals, but particularly the way that planning as a concept is marketed to women is markedly different than how it's marketed to men. And because marketing at its core is all about telling a story, showing us what we should want and what our ideal scenario is so that we will buy something, we have as women a faulty, incomplete, ideal scenario in our heads. We have been told what planning and organizing and calendaring should look like and how it should operate. We've been told that by so many voices for so long that it's hard to see clearly enough what's really happening. You can live your life, hear me, you can live your life day to day. You can have a simple notebook where you just like write down what you have to do that day. You know, maybe what you hope to do, what you have to do. I've talked about that before, hope to's and have to's. You can cross things off when they happen. You can lean into the rhythms that you already have and be content with them, maybe adding just like one small new thing at a time. You do not have to have color-coded days or time blocks that look cute enough for Instagram. You don't have to use the same system every day. Definitely not use the same system for every season. I know that there is like a legitimate need to learn how to manage your time and get your stuff done. And we have some great content that we've already done and a lot lined up on the podcast and in other places in 2024. But for now... I want to remind you that the problem likely is not you. It's not that you can't find the right system. If you're a woman, and most of you listening are, the way that organization is marketed to you is decidedly different and heavier on expectations and aesthetics than the way organization is marketed to men. So 
My simple answer to kind of this bigger problem is I want you to do whatever simple approach works for you today. Not forever, just today. Okay, the next question. The rest of these are much more practical than that one. Less soapboxy as well. The next question is from Tish Wolf. um, And I love how small and specific this is. Tish writes, decorating my bookshelves. I know there must be a formula. All my sentimental books are in my office, but I need something like three stacked books plus one plant plus one picture. I'm paralyzed with indecision. Oh, the styled bookshelf, you guys. I love a bookshelf. I have so many bookshelves in my house. If you are someone who loves books, you want your shelf to be reflective of that love, right? Now, from Tish's question, it sounds like the shelf being pretty matters, right? And we always want to name what matters. For some people, the styling part is actually irrelevant. It being pretty is not a part of the deal. You just need your books to go somewhere. Now, if you, like Tish though, want to decorate your bookshelf, you want it to look styled, here's just a handful of suggestions. First, a bookshelf only full of books is also beautiful. If you have enough books to fill up your shelf without using plants and pictures and trinkets and stuff, like you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Remember that the styled bookshelves that we see in magazines and online, they are absolutely beautiful, but they are professionally styled. So you can just have a bookshelf of only books and it's beautiful and awesome. You can also do, you know, rainbow order, which some people hate, but by grouping spines according to color, the shelf is automatically beautiful somehow, no matter what you do with the rest of it. Now, let's say that you don't have enough books to fill the whole thing, or you just really want the bookshelf. It's more about decoration than actual book storage, right? What are some ways that you can simplify or start small in styling? First, if you feel, now remember, I'm also not a decorating expert, but this is just my own take. First, if you feel like the stuff that you have is plain, you could paint the back of the shelf a bright color. So no matter what you put in front of it, the shelf is going to have personality. Okay. Second idea, put baskets or bigger things on the bottom of your shelf to ground it. It makes what you do on the top half a lot easier to balance. So just start there, ground the bottom. Third idea, put all your books on the shelf. Just go ahead and put them on there. And then just grab like a book, a a book of them, a group of them, you know, like a handful of books and then turn them on their side. You know, like go ahead and put all the books on there, but then grab handfuls and turn them on their side. Adjusting the positioning of the books themselves, that adds a lot of interest automatically. Fourth, think about dimension rather than a formula. The formula of like, you know, three books plus a plant plus a picture, that's great. But then it also might look a little repetitive and formulaic and not lived in like you want it to. So instead of a formula, I would think about dimension. Go for dimension with books and plants and pictures and whatever else. Lean a photo against a stack of books, not just next to it or on top of it. Stick a plant in your bookshelf, but one that's got tendrils hanging down. Is that what they're called? So it adds dimension when the plant hangs, you know, again, turn the books in different directions. So it's not all upright spines. Think about dimension. And fifth, don't cram it full. One of my favorite bookshelf levels or whatever shell actual shelves is a horizontal stack of maybe five books in like pretty colors with a ceramic hand statue next to it. And that's it on that whole shelf. It's like, I'm not good with, with uh, distances, two or three feet. I don't know. It's like a standard bookshelf, but that's all that's on that shelf in the middle. It's five books and a ceramic hand. 
other shelves don't have that much white space. But when you ground a shelf on the bottom, then you add some dimension, the white space kind of makes it sparkle. So that's something to think about. Also like a bonus sixth, sixth tip is to pin a bunch of photos of styled bookshelves that you like and notice the similarities, like notice what you love. And then just do that thing. Then just do that thing. Finally, just a reminder to Tish and anyone else, this is a project. Styling a bookshelf is a project. So treat it like one or else you're going to be frustrated and quit because you think you're doing it wrong. You're not. You're not. Styling a bookshelf requires a lot of decisions and trying things out. And again, people are paid to do this. It is a skill. It is a skill. So be kind, be patient, and be realistic about what you're actually doing, about how much time it's going to take, right? This is a project. Okay. Next question. Next question is from Beth Burson. Beth writes, dirty towels and a small, small, that second small is all caps, small home. The problem is in the kitchen and the bathrooms, towels and washcloths. Is the answer just hampers in every room? They are tiny bathrooms and tiny is all caps as well. I can hear the frustration and Beth's question, can't you? These daily challenges like dirty towels, they feel even bigger when you're confronted with them every day. Some challenges are less cumbersome because you can, you know, essentially ignore them. But this is a situation where Beth is probably confronted with, is there a better way for this every day, maybe multiple times a day because she's dealing with dirty towels and washcloths all the time. So this to me is a classic case of needing to choose what matters more. Okay. A lot of times we have multiple things that matter and sometimes we've really got to choose the thing that matters the most. Ideally, we would like to have as few steps or requirements of ourselves when it comes to daily housekeeping, right? That's why I have a little bucket in my kitchen. We call it the napkin bucket where dirty clothes from our kitchen, like cloth napkins and stray socks, they can go without having to go to the other end of the house to our bathroom hamper. That little bucket saves actual physical steps, right? We also love saving space, right? The less clutter that we have in our homes, the better we usually feel, both aesthetically and even emotionally. For some people, a cluttered space causes a cluttered brain. So there's another priority of wanting to eliminate clutter and keeping a room from feeling crowded. In a lot of situations, you have to pick one, fewer steps or fewer things. In my home, I choose fewer steps. I'd rather have an extra thing in my house, like the napkin bucket, so I don't have to take more steps. The same is true of having like hairbrushes and scissors all over my house. I'd rather have extra things than take extra steps. Beth, to me, it sounds like you might need to choose extra steps. Now, maybe not. Maybe you're willing to have extra things, even small ones, in your kitchen and your bathrooms so that you can just, you know, put the dirty towels in there and be done. But because of your all caps use of the words small and tiny twice in your comment, I think that you might prefer taking a few more steps as opposed to adding a few more things. If that's the case, I would encourage you to systemize how you get the dirty towels every day. Maybe they just hang on doorknobs or over sinks when they're dirty. But since you're in a small space, find a time during the day when you or someone you live with is already doing something home related and rhythmic. You know, there's always already like a, a habit like feeding the dog or cleaning up after dinner. 
And during that time, go to all the rooms and gather up the towels, have one place for them, whether it's, you know, in a separate laundry basket tucked in a closet or a bag hanging on a hook on a door. But what needs a place is the system of gathering the towels every day, maybe not the towels themselves. If you're home all day and you're looking at dirty towels lying across surfaces and that makes you crazy, make your rhythm in the middle of the day instead of at the end. You know, notice when you're most frustrated by the problem and see if you can put a rhythm in its place before the frustration hits. But ultimately, for anyone struggling with this kind of very relevant problem, choose which matters more, fewer steps or fewer things. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. I don't know if you've checked out my website lately, but she just got an upgrade and we did it with Squarespace. With Squarespace, it is so easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. My team recently updated our Squarespace site to use Fluid Engine, a next generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's seriously so cool. It's mobile layout display. It lets us see what people see on their own mobile devices as we make edits and updates. And 78% of you visit the site on your mobile device. So making sure what you see looks and performs the way it's meant to matters to me. If you want to build a new website, try out Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash lazy genius to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. Last year, Kaz and I went to Italy, and holy moly, what a trip. The museums, the food, the culture. At least once a week, I still think about the gelato. One thing that would have been nice, though, is to know actual Italian. We used translation apps, and we made it work, but I love that I can start learning new languages for future trips now with Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with 25 languages to choose from. I can learn on the go with downloadable offline lessons in the app or at my desktop. My favorite feature, though, is true accent, which gives me feedback on how well I'm pronouncing words as I'm learning them. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Lazy Genius podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash genius. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash genius today. I found Olive in June in 2020 when we were all looking for new hobbies and things to do. Well, now almost four years later, doing my nails at home with my daughter, Annie, and Olive in June's Manny system is still one of the things I look forward to every week. Olive in June makes it easy to get a salon-worthy manicure from the comfort of your home. The Manny system has everything you need in one box, salon-grade tools designed just for DIY, and your choice of six polish colors. And y'all, the colors they make are stunning. Annie and I just tried out their new colors for Valentine's day i'm wearing love note a sparkly nude that matches my skin tone and annie is wearing bouquet a shimmery pink that matches her personality plus olive and june's polish is chip resistant and lasts for seven days visit oliveandjune.com slash lazy genius for 20 percent off your first manny system that's o-l-i-v-e-a-n-d-j-u-n-e.com slash l-a-z-y-g-e-n-i-u-s for 20 percent off your first manny system This episode is sponsored by Ritual. The days are getting longer, but it's still tough to get the recommended vitamin D from sunshine alone, not to mention the risks we take with sun exposure. 
That's why I love that my multivitamin is helping me out. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus, that's the one I take, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. And for someone like me who likes to move but has glass knees, I'll take all the extra support from my multivitamin I can get. Rituals multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, flute and major allergen free, and gentle on an empty stomach. Plus, each bottle has a minty essence that makes taking them actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash lazy genius. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash lazy genius for 20% off. Okay, the next question is also about laundry and will be a bit easier to answer now that we've talked about Beth's question. So this is from rev.alicia.reads. Rev, Alicia, your name is not Rev, Alicia writes, apartment complex laundry, specifically doing laundry in an apartment complex in the winter. My apartment is upstairs and literally as far as it's possible to be from the communal laundry room, which means that I have to lug my laundry downstairs and walk basically an entire block to get there. In the winter, when it's rainy or snowy or literally 10 degrees outside, doing laundry means I have to get in and out of all my winter weatherproof gear all day, and I just can't make myself do it. But then the laundry pile becomes so big that the task is overwhelming, and suddenly I'm trying to wash a single pair of pants in the sink. Send help. Alicia, this sounds so frustrating. Who wants to act like they're getting ready to go skiing just to do laundry? But that is the reality of your situation. So let's try and make it a little easier. Some situations, y'all, are just a bummer. Like, truly. Lazy geniusing something doesn't mean it's completely easy or without trouble or just, you know, unicorns and rainbows, as they say. When people ask me how to lazy genius uh, a big change or grief or something huge because they've done everything they can and it's still hard, the first thing I say is that the point isn't to remove how hard it is. Some things, whether emotionally heavy or just practically annoying, are hard. You can't always make something easy or completely empty of any resistance. Some stuff is just a pain. So the way we lazy genius it is by for sure being kind to ourselves in it, naming our season, living in our season, and also by lowering our expectations to something more reasonable. Like, I'm going to try and make this just a little easier. We're not making frustrations go away because that's rarely how life works. But let's see if we can't make Alicia's laundry situation just a touch easier. We already discussed the practical choice of fewer steps or fewer things, right? In this case, Alicia, you're confronted with a similar choice. You mentioned getting in and out of winter clothes over and over to do laundry all day. But I wonder if you're piling on to an already frustrating situation. Instead of figuring out how to both get back and forth to your laundry and not have to worry so much about the winter gear going on and off over and over. I wonder if you pick just one, you know, maybe you could treat your laundry room as a laundromat where you just stay there, you know, bring a book or knitting or an iPad with a great movie and you wait until all your laundry's done. That way you're only taking the one trip and having to put the clothes on just the one time. I'm also guessing that because you're putting it off, the laundry is piling up. And therefore, it takes even longer to get it all done when you actually do go to the laundry room. So what if you added a rhythm of some kind? An idea would be when one load is ready to wash, you set aside an hour, 
you go down to the laundry room and you take care of that load while you read or work or have a snack or go for a winter walk since you're already bundled up and then you're done until the next load is ready, you know, however many days later. I think trying to eliminate getting dressed over and over again combined with the waiting so long because you hate laundry, it is kind of exacerbating your problem. The laundry will take so much longer because you have so much more of it to do. And then it's harder to stay in that laundry room for as long as it takes to wash all the clothes and fill up all the time you need. So if you can lessen the amount of laundry you're washing at a time, staying in the laundry room, it might feel more manageable. You know, choose an hour you always go or have a house rule where when a load is ready, you do it within 24 hours or something. Or you can combine doing a load or two of laundry with something fun or necessary that already exists in your routine, like figuring out your grocery list or something. And if none of this works because the apartment complex laundry space is not set up for you to hang out there, you could just go to an actual laundromat. Sometimes we get stuck with a problem because we forget we can do something completely different. Just because you have a communal apartment complex laundry room doesn't mean you have to use it, especially if it's tough to use it in the way that you need. So maybe your winter shift is to do laundry at an actual laundromat. And then you have a different rhythm in your apartment complex when the weather is not an issue. Laundry is a pain no matter what. It kind of has a rhythm no matter what. So I think we all know the answer is not going to be you know, some sort of fun party that you like love doing laundry now. But when we have appropriate expectations about a solution, we can slowly work our way to an easier and easier scenario and maybe even do something a little different, like go to a laundromat, even though you have access to a laundry room because it doesn't really work for you. Okay, let's pivot to some questions that involve people with kids. This first one is from Kay Carney, 86. How to Lazy Genius Adjusting to Baseball Season with Two Littles and My Husband Coaching. Our usual schedule is eating dinner at 5.30 and bedtime at 7, but now we have practices three days a week right before dinner, and there are weeknight games that blow through dinner time and right up to bedtime. What matters is giving my kids the nourishment and rest they need, feeding myself well, having some sense of rhythm, and not dreading, resenting, complaining the entire season. Oh, the sports season. And that word matters. Season. This is a season you're in. And seasons definitely require both practical adjustments and perspective adjustments. It won't always be like this, but it is like this now. So how can you pivot your perspective and your rhythm to account for this new season? From a perspective standpoint, I'm guessing the kids enjoy playing and your husband enjoys coaching. Most people don't commit to sports or extracurricular activities without some enjoyment attached. But what I'm guessing is that everyone else is into it and gets to benefit from the actual sport while you're left with the management of it all. And that's a tough place to be. So the first thing that I would suggest is adding your own enjoyment into the process. And frankly, it might even stop there. I think this is what matters most because you listed several things and you might have to pick one. It could be this one. So it can be as simple as being present at the game, you know, like just doing that mindset shift where you're like loving when your kids hit the ball or when they cheer for a teammate or when your husband gives a kid a high five or laughs or something. If you're focused on when everyone is going to eat or you're checking the clock or you're worrying about your plan, it is hard to be present with the good parts. So I would encourage you to be present with the good parts. You can also add enjoyment to the season by getting some 
for yourself, some enjoyment for yourself at another time during the day. So during baseball season, focus on having a lunch or a breakfast that you love since dinners are probably going to be a little more kid-friendly and quick and convenient than usual. Or on game nights, maybe not practice nights, but on game nights when it really is up to bedtime, you don't do anything productive at the end of the day. Once the usual things are done, you know, like getting the kids in bed or basic resetting for the next day, you take a bath with a book or something, you know, have something for you on game days that you can look forward to. Not out of resentment for your family in a like, I'm going to get mine kind of way, but to honor the season you're in and the extra energy that it requires of you. Now, practically, dinner will definitely not look like it does outside of baseball season, as you know. It's really hard to cram the meals that work in one season into another, okay? Now, here are a couple of thoughts. One, if you have not already, make a list of meals that are easy to have for dinner during the season, right? It could be takeout, like list everything. It could be takeout, crockpot things, freezer meals that you put in the oven, like before you leave for practice, you know, have a list of options. Even if that list is three things, That way you're not reinventing the wheel every week of what to have for dinner on those nights. Have it written down to save your brain a little space. Another idea is to switch afternoon snack and dinner. No one says that the nourishing meal has to happen at the end of the day. See what happens if you have dinner ready after school. And instead of goldfish and a banana, kids are eating, you know, a bowl of chili or meatballs or whatever you made. Then they're nourished. They're connected at home, which you said matters to you. And the snack happens after the practice or after the game. They're eating the same amount of food. It's just flipped. And then the last idea is to talk to other families on the team. What are they doing? Can you share the load with them? You know, you can picnic before games or once a week get a meal together at a fast food place. So there's some community help and connection, you know, involve the people already involved in that same season as you. So tricky seasons often require a little practical creativity. So whether these ideas work or they just give sparkle to other ideas, you're going to have to think outside of the regular season box, so to speak. You'll have to do things differently because that's what weird seasons require from us sometimes. But you can do those with more energy and even more enjoyment than you might realize. Okay, next up is Samantha Warmack. Samantha writes this. Hi, mom of two boys, four years apart. How to say a polite no thank you to more toys being given by my parents. We have so many, we just keep rotating them, but I really want to just donate them. So I think I've talked about this before, but holy moly, is this not a real problem for so many parents? In the same way that organization is marketed to women differently, a kid's experience of a fun childhood is also marketed like in very specific ways. Kids are supposed to have toys. It's just what they do, right? And toys are fun. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with toys. Like we have a lot of them. But when you're the one left managing them, it really is hard to communicate that with well-meaning, loving grandparents or family members who are simply responding to the messages that they're receiving from all kinds of inputs about what kids want. It is a cycle that makes all the sense, and it also drives commerce. Remember when Kelly Corrigan was on the show, she said, contentment does not drive economic activity. 
Contentment is something that doesn't exist in most situations regarding kids and toys from a marketing standpoint, right? So this challenge makes sense. It makes sense that this is real for so many people. So I think the most important piece of this is not just communicating that you would like fewer toys, but offering up something else for the grandparents to do. Now, I'm not a grandparent yet, but I know that connection with your grand your grandkids, it means a lot. And for a lot of people, we assume, again, because of those marketing messages, that the way we can show love to kids is by giving them something that will make them happy. You know, your presence, like actual presence, your own human self there is not enough, right? And experience that is delayed and also not enough. Like we're told that. It makes so much sense that a tangible thing, a tangible gift is more appealing to the giver because there's almost a guarantee of immediate pleasure from whoever is getting the gift. And that is never more true than with kids, right? Kids love getting a toy right away. Walk through the toy aisles of Target and see how many kids are losing their minds over just getting this one thing and how happy it's going to make them. And, you know, we've all fought that battle before. So I would suggest honoring that desire of your parents that they have to connect with their grandkids by asking them, to give experiences more than gifts. You know, this is a common suggestion and one that works really well, but just offer that instead. For birthdays or holidays, you can request memberships to museums or, you know, that the grandparents take the kids on a fun trip to like a close by city for the day. They go to the zoo, get ice cream or something. Now, if the gifts that your parents are often giving are like kind of pop-in gifts, like where they feel like they can't visit without bringing something, you can offer an alternative there too right? You're honoring their desire to connect with your kids by saying, maybe not this, can we try this instead? So instead of bringing a new toy, ask them to bring a snack to enjoy together or ask them to offer to play a game with your kids, you know, a game that you already have. Maybe the grandparent brings a coloring book and everyone sits together to color right then. You know, make it about being together more than a thing. I think most of us are worried that we're not enough for people, And that does not stop with grandparents. So tell them that not only is their presence enough, it's more preferred than a new toy. I think that could go a long way. Okay, one more. Sarah Ingmeyer writes this, figuring out a vacation that everyone will like. I have two 18-year-olds and a 15-year-old all with different interests. And the pressure is on. My oldest two are graduating high school in three months. Oh man, Sarah, I think that pressure is adding some stress to this. When we are coming to the end of a season, it is so easy to make something like a vacation count. We want it to be amazing since it's the last one in this season, you know, but that expectation, it can be a lot to navigate. So I would start by reminding you and anyone else who is in a similar situation that it does not have to be the most perfect vacation ever. It can be mediocre and still matter. So I would release some of that last time pressure, you know? Now, practically speaking, if you haven't already, I talk to your kids. What do they want to do? Where do they want to go? It could be that everybody, you know, gets a day to choose the itinerary wherever you are. Or it might be that they're all content hanging out at a lake house. But there are different activities for everybody. You know, the, the active one can ride a jet ski. The chill one can read by the water. Another option that I think helps with family vacations with kids who like different things is that they can bring a friend. I know that is slightly chaotic and more expensive and also not ideal for family time, 
But I also think that in this season, depending on how willing the family is to hang out with each other, it's sometimes easier to offer some social release that can't be found in the family. So let's say like the 15-year-old is also actually where things get tricky because your 18-year-olds naturally buddy up together, but the younger one's left on their own. Maybe that kid just brings a friend, you know? Regardless of how you approach it, I think including the kids in the process will be important to finding a vacation approach that works for everybody. Together, you can name what matters. You know, this is our budget. We can travel this far. Do we want to be in a city or in a quiet place? If there's a split in that, you know, how can you find a quiet place in the city or a quiet place that's close to a city, that kind of thing? Being a solo parent Googling vacation spots for families late at night, it will not solve this problem. And that's what I would totally do first. So I get it. So instead, involve the family to help make this vacation something everyone looks forward to in a reasonable way. Because everybody knows it's the last one before the older two graduate. So you can make it special together, but also keep your expectations in check. All right. Thanks for your questions, everyone. I hope that you got at least a little help for your own challenges somewhere in this episode. We have other Office Hours episodes in the archive. So if you're interested in hearing more episodes like this, it is just kind of a grab bag each time. You can Google Lazy Genius Office Hours and some episodes will pop up or you can search in the search bar at the lazygeniuscollective.com. You'll find the handful that we've already done. And since we heard from so many of you this week, the lazy genius of the week is all of you who follow me on Instagram and help me out with this episode. If you want to check out uh, other people's questions and comments, because uh, it's still happening long after this episode was made, y'all are still helping each other answer each other's questions. So you can follow me at the lazy genius on Instagram. This episode is hosted by me, Kendra Adachi, and executive produced by Kendra Adachi, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kenzie. The Lazy Genius Podcast is enthusiastically part of the Office Ladies Network. Special thanks to Leah Jarvis for weekly production. Thanks y'all for listening. And until next time, be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. I'm Kendra. I'll see you next week. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.